I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Mike Duger joins me today. He writes great stuff for the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. Mike, I appreciate you giving me some time today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It is, uh, as we can see, officially hoodie season. What does it get like? I'm not familiar with Seattle very much. I mean, is it is it snowing out there? When do y'all start getting hit hard? Um, it varies from year to year. Uh, it just gets really gray. Mm, soon as October comes, like I, I was in a wedding that was fairly sunny in October of 2018, and that was really lucky. But after after like the first weekend of October, bring your hoodies out, bring your boots out, get your pea coat. Find your gloves, all that's all that stuff. That's what that's kind of what it looks like. And we may or may not get snow. We haven't this year, but in years past, I've stayed in my house for like a week straight because there's snow outside. Out here, where Timberlands and Nike boots was that what you guys have got going on out there? Or what? How's that look? Man, it's funny when I watch uh, when I meet people from the East Coast or watch movies that are based in the East Coast, and I see all the Tims. Because we're not really the Tims is not really a thing um, right. over here. Uh, I love Tims. I have a pair, um, but like the it feels like the wheat Tims are the equivalent of like uh, let's see, uh, Uggs are really popular for women over here. It's just like that's the that's the thing over there. I love it. I wish I could pull off the wheat Tim look more often. Uh, also, uh, not from the East Coast because they're definitely uh, butter Tims and not wheat. Oh, that's what you guys call them? Yeah. Butter? I like yeah. the I butter like the Tims or the cinnamon Tims. Uh, yeah, I've never heard cinnamon. Wow, that's how you definitely know I'm from over here. Sure. That's what's up. Well, back to the uh, to the football team. Um, it's interesting since 2012, you guys have really been the gold standard for what football teams are trying to achieve. What has um, what has he been able to do, head coach GM-wise, to just make things click? Um, I think messaging has been really important. If you look at any, like, leader of anything, whether it's a business, a church, um, or any religion, or whatever type of group, fraternity, the messaging is important. Wherever you want that messaging to be, right? You just have to be consistent with it, and people have to buy into it around here. Um, there's a few things. There's accountability. That's why they have a Tell the Truth Monday after every week. Um, it's competition. Um, that's why the whole program is based around that philosophy that competition brings out the best uh, in you. Um, and um, taking it one week at a time. That's why every week, Pete's like, uh, this. every week is a championship opportunity. Um, there's just little things like that about the messaging that like sets the foundation. Um, and you look at every time a coach loses a locker room, the messaging is usually like the thing. Um, you know, we look at all the coaches who get fired, not just because their win-loss record is bad, because, like, they've lost the team because whatever message they were trying to instill just didn't get bought in. Like, I, whatever's going on in the Chargers locker room right now, clearly Anthony Lynn's messaging is not working. Right? Same thing with Matt Patricia in Detroit. Um, you know, there's been countless examples of, like, whatever culture you tried to build sucked. Right? And it just didn't work. Um, it didn't stick. So I think Pete has been really good at that part um of team building of fostering a culture building in people who believed in it 
in creating like a self-sustaining culture in that once he got the veterans he needed and they succeeded, so like those Legion of Boom guys, Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson, once he got those guys, they they bought in, created it, and then they passed it down. So now when all those guys exited, you know, even a Richard Sherman or a Earl Thomas or a Cam Chancellor um, or even a Marshawn Lynch, when they left, they told the guys behind them, hey, we, we built something here. Don't screw it up. Right? And then that's going to get passed down to the next guys because the culture works. Right. This is I think they just locked up their ninth straight winning season. So the messaging was important, but then it also worked as a combination of things. You can preach all you want, but if you go in 16, ain't nobody listening to you. Um, so I think it's been a combination of both of those things. Yeah, I think I saw that that they haven't won less than nine games since Russell got there, which is just incredible. Uh, Carol just signed a new deal, right? He re up for five more years. He's not a young man. What what does the organization feel like? I mean, obviously they think he's got another five years left in him. Yeah, I mean, Pete really is the Seahawks. You know, Paul Allen owned the team for years. Paul died in October 2018, and he was pretty hands-off, as is, like really like anti-Jerry Jones in that way. And his sister, Jody, um, Jody Allen, who also owns the Trailblazers too, uh, the NBA team, she's pretty hands-off as well. So, like, Pete's running the show. So from, from the Allen seat, they just look at Pete and say, hey, we're winning, selling tickets. Seems pretty fun. National TV a lot. International interest. All right, man, you got it. Handle it. You know, however long you want to handle it. Um, so I think that's what the organization was thinking. Like he, he, they bring Jody in for like big things, like on Russell's in the contract that they brought her in to, you know, um, dot some eyes and cross some T's. Same thing when they made Bobby Wagner the highest paid middle linebacker in the league. But for the most part. Pete Carroll, John Snyder, and their salary cap guy, Matt Thomas, kind of just have this thing rolling. And so, yeah, Pete's, Pete's the oldest coach in the league, but there's no real signs of slowing down, not from an energy standpoint or from a winning standpoint. They're probably going to get double-digit wins this year as well. Uh, crazy because Pete's got the juice going all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, no, no, all the time. Like, he throws spirals in practice. Um, he's like – he, he runs around with the guys. He's always got energy. I remember one year, my first year covering a team in 2017, he just – they do competition Wednesday every every week with the players. And he just busts into his uh, Wednesday afternoon press conference, and it's like, okay, you guys, compet- with us. Like, it's competition Wednesday. I want um, – okay, I want you from the local radio station, and I want you from the Seattle Times. All right, both of you guys get up. We're going to do a shootout. Right now, 30 seconds each on the basketball hoop that's in the meeting room. Go. Start the music. Boom, da-da-doom, da-da-doom. I can't remember who won. I posted a video of it. I could send it to you. But that was like my fourth month covering the team. And I was like, wow. A, I hope he calls me because I'm going to beat whoever I go in this shootout. And B, I was like, man, that's a lot of energy um, from a guy who at the time was probably like 67 or something right. like that. And it's just it's, it's nonstop. You know, he beat Steve Kerr in a shootout last year. Um, you know, he's just, again, competition uh, is just what he thrives on. And that really just doesn't die in you. I don't think. Have you, do you generally travel with the team? And and if that, has that, have you not been because of the COVID or you don't usually travel anyway? Uh, I traveled 2018 and 2019. And then this year I gave it a shot. I I went to their home opener, excuse me, the road opener in Atlanta, their next road game in Miami. 
I went to another one. Where did I go? Oh, I went to the Rams game in LA, and I may go to the Bay when they figure out, you know, close out the year. But yeah, I've been watching on the road or from home and trying to experiment a little bit. Like I watched, they played Buffalo in Week Nine, and I watched that game with former defensive end Cliff Averill, um, and just kind of picked his brain during the yeah, game. Yeah, saw that. What he what he thought, and then I watched the Week Seven game, the one where. DK chases Buddha down in Arizona. I watched that with the guy who calls their radio broadcast because he calls the games from Seattle because they don't okay. travel either. So just trying stuff stuff like that. Um, that reminds me, I need to solidify one for this Washington game. But yeah, it's it's hard to kind of hard to differ, differentiate the coverage now when we're all watching from our from our TVs and can't get the same angles and stuff that we would get when we're there. You you brought up DK and, and he's been incredible. Uh, did they realize exactly what they were getting when they drafted him? I don't think they thought they were getting a guy that would be this polished, this fast. Like he, the, everyone knew he had raw talent, uh, right? But he had questions. I know the thing right now is to look at DK and be like, "Wow, he went sixty fourth. That's stupid." But I, I tend to remind people like, "A, he broke his neck. Problem. Uh, B, I think he pretty much he led all FBS wideouts in drop." percentage i want to say like that's and which is hard to do if you want to play like five games so right. i mean he's dropping a lot of passes uh, relative to his, his targets um and that actually might have been for his career i gotta check that but anyway he broke his neck and dropped the ball a lot those are two reasons not to draft someone if in my book right even right. if you're six four and run four three like those two things will get you the red flags on any literally any team's medical you know evaluation chart when they're looking at draft prospects now, should the Eagles have drafted people like J.J. Ortega Whiteside over him? No, right? But hindsight's twenty twenty. But they knew what they—they they knew they were getting a downfield threat, and they knew they had one of the best downfield passers in the league, if not the best one. They knew that would work out, no matter if he turned out to be, you know, the, the second coming of Mike Wallace or Deshaun Jackson or Julio Jones. They knew he's going to run downfield and catch it, and Russ is going to put it where it needs to be. So. That's the marriage they thought they were getting, if nothing else. And then they ended up getting like this beast of receiver who draws unsportsmanlike penalties from DBs trying to get in his head like every other week um, and who has safeties bounce off of him when he runs routes over the middle and just makes highlight plays on, you know, on mistakes, like when he chased down Buddha. Like he's becoming somewhat of the total package in year two. I don't think they expected that. I don't think anyone did other than maybe people whose last names are also a Metcalf. Mike, what um, what are they going to do with Chris Carson when the season's over? He's going to want a lot of money, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, if you fi- if you find out what they're going to do, you let me know. Um, because I d- I don't know at the moment. Here's the thing, Chris. Chris puts up great numbers. He puts up great numbers. He's not this year because he got hurt. Um, he only got, he only got like 500 yards right now. He'll probably max out at about seven if he's lucky. Um, which is not you know get paid type of money. But if you watch him run and you watch the the way he catches the ball and you watch the way he's so efficient, I think he's averaging like five yards a pop, you know, this year. That's impressive, right? But that's not $12 million a year money because that's what Chris wants. Chris looks at Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. I mean, even like Aaron Jones. I know I don't think he's gotten paid yet, but Joe, Dalvin, McCaffrey. Um, there's, a, there's another guy in his draft class, Kamara. All these guys got paid. And Chris is sitting there like, okay, I'm on the seventh round deal when I'm just as good as all of you guys, right? Like, I run as hard as Dalvin. I catch – I'm just as good a pass catcher as as Christian, and I, 
I score as much as Joe. Why am I not getting paid? So he'll want that for sure. Will the Seahawks give that to him? Probably not for the reason that other teams are probably going to be scared. Dude gets hurt. He's he's had injuries that cost him to miss games every year of his career. Broke his leg in his rookie year. Uh, missed games with a groin injury in 2018. Had a cracked hip last year. Foot injury this year. Like those things are not. Don't scream. Give me 12 million dollars a year. Right? So I'm not. I'm not sure if that's in his future with the Seahawks at least. Uh, because correct me if I'm wrong. They've got um, Seahawks are going to be in a bit of a cap quandary here for long, aren't they? They got a lot of contracts coming up. Their 2021 cap situation isn't great, but I mean, the cap can be manipulated. They should have like 20 mil to start with, and they've they've only got a couple guys who really need to get paid. Like you can, and when I say really, like Chris is not a need right, because he's running back. Right, that's just not a position you put money into. Like their number one cornerback, Shaquille Griffin's up as well, also in that 2017 yeah. draft. That'll be an issue they got to work with. Their starting center was also in that 2017 draft, Ethan Posick, a second round pick. So they'll have center money's not great. Um, this is only his first year as a starter, so he can't demand a ton, which need a center. So um, that's that's going to be what they got to handle. Their 2021 cap, or excuse me, 2022 might have some guys on it. That might be tricky um, because that's when, if they extend Jamal Adams, that is, that's when his money would kick in because uh, he's still got that fifth-year option. So his 2021 cap should be pretty low. Quandre Diggs are starting free safety. He, he could, you know, an extension for him could hurt in 2022. Tyler Lockett, an extension for him could hurt in 2022. So this upcoming year, it's not too bad. The problem is they don't got no draft picks. Right? So they don't got no cheap right. labor uh, coming. They got like four picks um, of this upcoming draft with no comp picks coming. So the cap is not great. But when you couple it with the fact that they only have four picks, then it looks like, wow, damn, we better win the Super Bowl because we ain't really built to keep winning. Uh, if we just, you know, fall out in the divisional round again this year. Mike, it's early in the week, but what does the injury report look like? Uh, well, it looks pretty good, actually. The best has looked all year. My goodness, they got hit hard. Um, along with the Niners, the Seahawks got hit pretty hard. Um, right now, their right tackle situation is the only one that's really bad. They're down to their fourth stringer at right tackle. Um, that's They went down, they lost, a, they were averaging losing a right tackle a week starting in week 11. That's brutal. You know, I mean, it's hard to find five good offensive linemen. No one has nine good ones. You know, that's just especially yeah, at the not. right tackle. Yeah, especially the right tackle spot, right? Because that's where teams put their um, their best guys a lot of times. I know the the best DN sometimes goes against the left tackle, but if you're smart, you stick them over against the guy on the right because yep. that's who's likely to to destroy. So I mean, I mean, don't tell Chase Young that quite yet. Um, let him figure that out on film first, but. Um, yeah, the right tackle situation doesn't look great, but they should get Rashad Penny, their first-round pick in 2018, back this week. Uh, Quentin Dunbar, familiar name in Washington, he's coming off IR uh, this week as well. Uh, Greg Olson, their tight end, who uh, had a torn plantar fascia in his foot in week 11. He might even practice this week, which is pretty impressive. He might not play this week, but um, he, sh- he might play in the regular season again, which is crazy for someone his age who suffered that injury. Um, so I think that's that's actually pretty encouraging. Before earlier in the year, they was they was beat down. They were calling dudes off the practice squad to start at running back. They were calling dudes off the practice squad to start at safety, uh, pulling dudes off the NFI to start at every corner spot. Like it was ugly. Um, so now they're actually a lot healthier 
as healthy as an NFL team could be after 15 car crashes, you know, in week 15. But yeah, they look they look pretty decent um, entering this uh, Washington game. You brought up our old pal Quentin Dunbar. He uh, wanted to get paid here. The new staff wasn't ready to do it right away. Uh, I think people thought that the fifth round pick wasn't enough compensation at the time. And then all the craziness happened with the card game, right? I, and I guess that was that was all a setup. Is that how that ended up playing out? I mean, that was crazy, right? Oh boy, I don't know how much time you have. That was uh, that was a quite the saga. And it's not even ultimately. I can actually summarize it pretty, uh, pretty well. I mean, they they were charged with robbery, and the charges were dropped. Like that's just one sentence to summarize it. But over the course of four months. There was like 18 different times when I thought Quentin would like never play again or then play or then go to jail or like, I don't know. There was just so many different scenarios. His He switched lawyers and I Googled his lawyer and his lawyer is like this big scam artist in South Florida who's also right. like, a, like a city official as well. Like it's very, whatever's going on down there in South Florida is very Florida man. It's, it's really, right. really, really crazy. But yeah, ultimately both he and DeAndre Baker never faced any legal consequences. No, I guess it was a shakedown, right? From what I can gather, some guy they lost some video games or some card games. Some guys came up off some cash and some jewelry, which sounds like a robbery to me. Um, sure. But it didn't it that only matters if it sounds like it to some prosecutors and it did not. So they got off scot free. They're both in the NFL. I think DeAndre's on the Chiefs practice squad yeah, now. The Chiefs. Um it's just amazing. It's amazing that they're both. I mean, good for them is, but you know, but at the same time, it's just really amazing that neither of them are in jail. Because then, like July of 2020, I was very certain they so, would both be in in my in uh in jail in uh, South Florida for you know armed robbery with a firearm as well. One of them was strapped allegedly. That's a, ooh, that's a one hell of a way to spend your quarantine. On the field, part of the problem was DeAndre, or, uh, not DeAndre, but um. The um, oh my, my bad. I'll get this fixed. They um, he Q couldn't stay healthy for a while. Um, and, he, and that was part of the problem here. Has he been healthy for you guys? Nope. Uh, that's uh, that's the same same problem here. Uh, he let's see. He started week one. He started week two and got hurt. I want to say, um, was hurt through week. Five? No, he played in week. He played in week two, actually. Oh, yeah, exactly. And got hurt. Uh, Got hurt again. I think in week like seven, I want to say, against the Cardinals. Then he was playing on one leg against the Bills and had put him on IR. So I mean, he's just he's been fine when healthy. When he's healthy, he's fine. He's he he gets the ball. Yeah. Um, You know he 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 plays pretty tight coverage. He's not like a, a press man guy in their cover three scheme like he would uh, like Pete Carroll would like, but you know he sees the he's pretty smart sees the field sees the field well, um, but he just gets hurt. Like in that Buffalo game in Week Nine, they gave up forty four points in large part because Quentin was out there with one leg. Now is that Quentin's fault? I don't know. Every guy's gonna want to play. You know they'll say, Coach, I'll play with one leg if I have to. Is the coach's job to be like, uh, no, we need two legged corners. You know because Josh Allen is killing us. Um, but they didn't do that, and they got destroyed um defensively when he's healthy though like I, if he's presumably is now he can ball you guys know that. he can ball um yeah 
he was brought in here to be like to build a shutdown cornerback group. Shaquille Griffin was coming off a Pro Bowl appearance. Um, Quentin, before he got hurt in 2019, was playing like one of the best corners, you know, in the league. They expected them to just lock stuff down, and they haven't they haven't been able to get it done. And it's not just Quentin. I'll put it this way. They expected to start four defensive backs this year. Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Quentin Dunbar, Shaquille Griffin. Those guys have played 77 snaps together. That's it. Yeah. 60, 68 of those were in week one, and nine of them were in week two. That's it. Someone's been yeah. hurt every week since. So if they did get Quentin back this week against Washington, that would be their first time playing with those guys for a whole game since week one. That's insane. Yes. Uh, speaking of that secondary, what uh, who will be tasked with shutting down Terry McLaurin, or uh, that's just a, a team effort there? How, how do they use the corners there? I didn't get to watch as much Washington film as I wanted to this this week. I will. Um, but if he's like guys like D-Hop and – um, some other receivers they face who are primarily like the X, like DK Metcalf is like the X in the offensive system, which lines up to the offense's left a lot of the time. And that'll be a Quentin Dunbar thing. Um, but if they move him around a lot, you know, match him, match him up on the offensive right, they get he'll go against Shaquille Griffin. Um, it's pretty interesting. I think they're actually both rep by the same agency, um, Shaq and Terry. Um, so that'll that'll be pretty fun. Uh, they're both both going to be looking to get paid here uh, in the near future. Both ballers, both yeah. just. They've, they've moved they've moved Terry around a lot more this year in an attempt to get him on better matchups for sure. Yeah, and and with the Seahawks, the the best matchup is if Terry's in the slot. Um, for it's best matchup for Washington that is because yeah. Quentin's a really good outside guy. Um, Shaquille's a good, really good. It's, Shaquille runs four three. Like it's very hard to run by him. Like if you even if you do, he's catching up and he's and he's got long arms. Uh, tested well at the combine. That's why he's the highest uh, cornerback uh, Pete Carroll's ever drafted. Um, so, yeah, mostly it'll be a Shaquille Griffin thing if he's uh, moving on the right side, a Quentin Dunbar thing if he's on the left, and then just like a team effort over the middle because they really – one thing they don't want is Terry killing them. Like if, if any of the other guys do it, that's bad obviously, but they'll take that before they take, you know, the team's best receiver, you know, killing them. You had mentioned all the injuries, and maybe that's what it is. I was just thinking, this doesn't feel like the same Seattle defense that we've seen in years past. Is is that fair from the outside, or is that just a misconception? Oh, no. The the numbers suggest that. The the eye test suggests that this is not the same. I mean, because you think about what the same looks like from 2012 to 2016, or 2015, you had the highest scoring defense in the league every year. Like, that's, that's elite. Even in 2016, I think they were, like, third. Um, which is still pretty good because Earl broke his leg in like week 12 um, and or 13, and still they were still pretty dominant the rest of the way without him. Um, 2017, they were still pretty good in scoring, but they lost Cam and Sherm, and that's just – you just can't uh, sustain that. This has been just a disaster from an injury standpoint. Like I said, they went all in on on health. Right. They banked on Jamal staying healthy, Quandre staying healthy in the back end, um, Bruce Irvin helping their pass rush. You know, he got hurt in week two towards ACL. They just banked on so many guys who just got hurt right off the jump. You know, Jamal got hurt in week three. They're starting nickel towards ACL in week two. They're starting weak side linebacker slash third down pass rusher towards ACL in week two. Um, Quandre got ejected in week two. 
it just was a it was a kind of like Shaquille Griffin pulled his hammy in week seven. Quentin Dunbar got hurt multiple times. It was just so many. It was left and right, left and right, left and right. Guys just getting hurt. Their first round pick had an AC uh, MCL strain in like week three. Like it was just no, oh, uh, yeah, week three I think or week four. There was just so many injuries on defense. And the thing about defense is, I don't care how well you scheme. It's hard when you're only as good as your 11th guy when it's on defense. It's really hard to hide a guy where you can hide a guy on offense. You know, don't throw him the ball off his alignment, give him help, whatever. But it's really hard to hide a bad defensive tackle or a bad weak side linebacker, a bad safety. You know, they'll scheme around you. That's what makes what Robert Sala is doing in San Francisco so impressive. Half their team is dead. And, you know, they, they're still like a top 12 defense. The Seahawks aren't going to be that. They're, Ken Norton is just not that type of guy uh, to be able to build around so many injuries, which is okay, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it's what it's done is look at the results. This year they're like bottom third in defensive DVOA. That's not where the Seahawks team wants to be. Mike, we got uh, coming up for the athletic this week. Um, I just I just dropped some playoff scenarios uh, for, the, for the Seahawks. Believe it or not, they can still get the first uh, seed. Uh, I, I thought that was out the door, but they owe, they got to send like a Christmas card or something to Jalen Hurts because um, beating the Saints opened the door um, right. f- for them. Um, I always do um, a big preview each week where I try to just analyze something really, and not just like every matchup, just like something really interesting about um, this team. And I usually drop that on Fridays. That'll be coming. Um, I'm, where, I'm collaborating on a big project, actually, with some more people at The Athletic that aren't in the Seattle market. I can't say the subject because that would give it away, but it is gonna, it's going to answer a question a lot of people have been wondering um, that is Seahawk related. So I think people will enjoy it. So we got that coming before Christmas, I'm pretty sure. Um, so both of those things I'm pretty excited about. All right. Well, Mike Duger writes for The Athletic. Check him out there. We appreciate you giving us some time today. And uh, have a Merry Christmas, man. Oh, thank you. Same to you as well. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Thank you, man. Go, thank you, bud. Yep. Got to be productive this morning.